Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another episode of the Kuehl Podcast. I am your host today, the insider of the insiders, Tyler Kuehl, and we have ourselves a little bit shorter of a show from compared to last week. Alex is out and about today, so I will be the one and only member of the Kuehl Podcast, but be sure to talk about this show and talk about how I'm going to do today by using the hashtag the Kill Podcast. And if you have any problems with it, you can tweet us at the Kill Podcast and tell us how you prefer only one of us doing it. And it's this good looking guy right here. All right, narcissism out of the way. Remember, folks, this is also another episode when we are paired up with our good friends at the Downtown Sports Network. Go on downtownsportsnetwork.com or follow them at DT Sports Network for all the good coverage of your favorite sports teams. A little bit less action this week, obviously. Everyone seems to be taking vacations except for moi because, well, I got all my vacations taken care of before free agency. I am that kind of professional. Even though, let's be honest, there was plenty of stuff going on when I was on the beach or in Canada or on the beach in Canada, nonetheless. But a little bit nicer of a little bit. It's really warm outside today. And I mean, it's the heat of summer. Not a lot going on, and I mean, I've been reading books, by the way. I am now currently reading Ken Reed's Hockey Card Stories Part 1, or unofficially Part 1. Really good book. You're learning, learning about funny stories about old-time hockey and stuff like that. Of course, I already read, let's see, what books have I read? I read Steve Dangle's book, which I recommend for sure for anyone, I mean, just really anyone in general, even if you're not a hockey fan, read it. His story is incredible. I also suggest that diving into Cujo's book, Curtis Joseph, my, one of my favorite goaltenders as a kid growing up, learning about his story and all that he had to overcome just to make it to the NHL and everything that went into being an NHLer, including funny stories about Brett Hall scoring a goal in regulation time to not go to overtime against Los Angeles. I'm not going to spoil that story for you. Get out there and buy the book. It's on Amazon, all of your favorite libraries or book outlets, all those. And, of course, I read the Down Goes Brown history of the NHL, which told some of the quirky stories. And, of course, Alex and I talked about those in recent weeks as well. So, yeah, it's a good time to get some reading done. I mean, I know a lot of people like myself are, you know, doing some job applicants, stuff like that, trying to find stuff for the next season. But, you know, it's a little bit of a lull. Let's wait till August. August is a good time to start getting the swing of things. Use this month to relax, get some tan on your skin, unless you live way up north. In that case, it's impossible. Or if you live in Seattle, where it rains all the time. If you're in Seattle and uh, think I'm wrong, please use the hashtag the Kill Podcast and tell us that. Of course, we're excited because we're about a year out from, well, we're a year out from a lockout, so that's not really fun to talk about. But we're about a year away from Seattle really starting to become an organization. They're looking at getting a general manager next year and that could be something, too, because we'll, we'll, we'll really have to see who is available then. Kenny Holland was going to be the rumored option, of course, because at that point, his contract with Detroit was going to end. But then he decided that he was going to take the job in Edmonton, which could work out, may not work out, and all to be remains foreseen. It's pretty quiet during free agency. But then again, like when you're paying a lot of money for three or four players, you don't have a lot to do. Yes, I'm, this is a Leafs fan talking here, and yes, we know Kyle Dubas is doing his thing, but we'll get to more of that stuff later on. But I guess speaking of Kyle Dubas, Nazem Kadri, we talked about the trade last week and talked about what Naz meant to the Leafs, to the franchise when he was a Leaf, and we analyzed the trade a little bit. He was on 31 Thoughts this week with Jeff Merrick and Elliot Friedman, good buddy Freach, and the rumors got out that part of his no-team trade list was Calgary. Very good hockey club, very skilled hockey club over in Calgary. Could be a team that could once again compete for top dog in the Pacific Division. But he went on on saying on 31 Thoughts, he said, quote, it was no disrespect to Calgary or the Flames organization. I love their team. I love the direction they're headed. I just figured that had I declined, I would have had a better opportunity of being a Maple Leaf next year. And that's what it came down to. I wanted to play for the Leafs next year. I wanted to be part of that. In declining that trade, I had aspirations of being a Leaf, and we know clearly that didn't happen. They had other plans, end quote. And that just shows you that Naz really didn't want to leave. Yeah, sure, maybe the writing may have been on the wall, but it's it is going. To, it's tough for some of us to accept the fact that he's gone. I mean, we're not going to see 43 out there clanging and banging and annoying the heck out of everyone, but 
He wanted to be here. Despite him growing up a Montreal fan in London, of all places, I know it's crazy, but then again, P.K. Subban did the same thing when he was born in Rexdale, just outside Toronto. So there is that possibility, but he was glad he was a Leaf. He was proud to be a Leaf, and he wanted to stay a Leaf. But he also went on saying later on, saying, quote, I mean, I understand it's a business. For me, it's going into next. It's about going into next season with a chip on my shoulder. I know what I'm capable of, and I want to just prove a point more than anything. So I'll be looking to have a big year next year. So that, hey, that's a big point right there. I actually went on myself, and because uh, of course I'd like to see my good, my good friend Nazem. No, I'm not gonna say my good friend Nazem Kadri. We actually met um, his cousin as Chewy comes down and enjoys the show. Hi, Chewy. How are you? He's staying staying cool on a hot day out here in West Michigan. We actually met, Kel and I, we met Nazem Kadri's cousin. Uh, we went to Detroit last season. Not last season, the season before in 27-2018. And it was so funny. He's like, yeah, we're Nazem Kadri's cousin. We're like, really? Like, that's awesome. And we're like, can we meet him? And, of course, it was already probably for, tough enough for them to go see him, let alone, you know, two random Leaf fans. And that was that was pretty interesting. So that's the closest probably ever I'll ever get to see Nazem Kadri. But nonetheless, I took it upon myself to look up the Toronto Maple Leafs schedule to when they play in Denver. And because well, Kel and I went there because we have some friends out in Denver last year, and we had a really good time. We'd love to go out there again. So I'm like, oh, why not go watch Naz play? Unfortunately, it's on Hockey Night in Canada, the Saturday before. Saturday before Thanksgiving, American Thanksgiving. So that's kind of a bummer because, you know, we really like, I mean, we love Denver. We love the city of Denver. It's a beautiful place. The Rockies are wonderful. If you have not ever been out there, go do it. It's mesmerizing. I'm not the biggest outdoorsy person. We hiked for, I think it was like three hours, something like that, and I couldn't get enough. I was in awe. And if you ask Kelly, I'm a very difficult man to impress. So seeing the Rockies and being like mesmerized is pretty impressive. But yes, they play at Tr- Toronto and Colorado in Denver at the Pepsi Center on the 23rd of November. And the home game is December the 4th, the next week. Or excuse me, the two weeks or a week and a half after. So I may go to that one. I don't know. Because I'll be honest with you. I want to go just so I can cry when they you know first stop it to play, first TV timeout. They play the video to honor Kadri. I'll be probably up in the standing room only seats crying because that's what I do. I'm a bit of a crier because I get emotional and things with Nazem. Trust me, I I almost I teared up a little when I heard Naz got traded, even though I kind of expected it. When James Reimer got traded, that was different. That I was not emotionally prepared for. I was in luck now at the time, and the first thing I did was I called Kelly, and I told her, Kelly, James got traded. And she's like, of course, that's usually all of her reactions to anyone getting traded. Yeah, my, me telling Kelly about the Na, the Naz trade was hilarious. It was great because I told her, I'm like, here, all right, here's what happened. Leafs and Avalanche had a trade. I told her what the Avalanche gave us. It's like, oh, my gosh, what did the Leafs give up? And I said, uh, you know, 2020, 2020 draft pick, Callie Rosen, and Nazem Kadri. I heard silence followed by, what? That's exactly what happened. So, yes, my fiance is very passionate about the players I'm passionate about. So, yeah, you can't get emotionally attached in this game, folks. It's kind of a bummer, but it is how she goes sometimes. But just kind of hearing him say that and knowing that he's going to really give it all. and Because there's a lot of people saying that this could be the kick in the rear that Naz needs to get his career back on track. And by that means, I guess, don't be dumb. Because he had two 30-goal seasons. Yeah, he took a little bit of a dip last year in scoring. But the kind of player he is, you can't expect him to put 30 goals up every single year. It's the the antics, the getting suspended, fined, whatever. It's kind of getting him brought down to earth. That's what this trade may do. It's important for a guy like Kadri, the game that he plays, he needs to be on the ice to be able to do it. You can't be in the box. You can't be suspended. Listen, I'm just saying right now, the Leafs make the playoff. They get to the second or maybe conference finals the last two years had Nazem Kadri been in the lineup. It's That's pretty much the long and the short of it. He's such a difference maker come the postseason. And if Colorado can just continue to bolster their lineup like this, 
Sure, Nazem Kadri is not going to be the top scoring guy on that team. No question about it. No doubts. But the point is, is that when they get into April, sure, Colorado has a team that can get out of the first round, but there'll be a team that'll be tougher down the stretch when you really have to muck and grind in the late stages of spring towards the finals. Who knows with Colorado? Will Philip Grubauer have another great year? I'm not sure. It was an incredible year that he had. And ever since his days in Washington, he always had signs that he could be a starting goaltender, which is hilarious because that's where Semyon Varlamov came from. Of course, now he's messing around in the island. Well, yeah, it is. Te- they actually play and are playing more games at Nassau this year. But I'm just, I'm intrigued on what this Colorado team is going to be. Yeah, they lose Tyson Berry, but they still have Kale McCarr and they just, they re-signed Zadorov and that's going to be a good team on the back end and up front as well. Colorado is right now, guys, possibly in my eyes here in July, they could be a team to contend for the Central Division crown. I don't see Nashville being as strong as they have been the last couple of years. Winnipeg in their cap crunch is a question mark. Will Hellebuck have a better year? Chicago is going to be, a, I don't say, I can't say a team on the rise because they almost have the similar team, but they have the tools to get in there. Now they have Leonard and Crawford, a, a very capable dual goaltending system they're going to have out there, similar to what maybe Leonard had with Grice in the island. The Central Division, I keep talking about how the Metro is going to be wild. The Central Division could be really tight because St. Louis will still be there. They pretty much have the same team. I don't think they lost really anyone. The only thing that anything was lost was Ryan O'Reilly during his SP speech. I don't know if you guys saw that last night. Ryan O'Reilly and the St. Louis Blues were given an award during the ESPYs, hosted by ESPN, and Ryan O'Reilly was given the honors of being the one to talk because he was a consummate trophy winner, and he said, I got to take my tooth out so I don't spit all over the celebs here, and everyone's like, oh my gosh, hockey player taking his tooth out, and, and all of us hockey players are like, ah, that's, that's kind of funny because, I mean, a lot of players I play with have fake teeth, so, anywho, funny jokes like that. Good luck to Colorado. Good luck to Naz. I, I hope I can go to that game on December 4th. I really want to because I love Naz and I'd like to see him one more time. And with my luck going to Leafs games, Kadri will win because I always lose whenever the whenever I go see the Leafs. So that, don't worry, folks. I'm not getting playoff tickets, A, because they're ridiculously expensive, and B, because, well, I don't want to put my team in danger, right? But moving on here, some news to talk about. We got some signings couple of, not not huge signs. We'll talk about the, the bigger ones from this past week. Marcus Johansson signed with Buffalo two years for a $9 million total at an AAV of 4.5. Johansson, of course, playing with Boston last year in their run to the Stanley Cup Finals. Played a pretty big role. Has not been really the same since he left Washington. You know, he kind of was on a, an iffy team in New Jersey. Had a couple injuries that really hindered him. Goes over to Boston, makes some hay, and ha- had a Fairly good playoff run. I like to think that he he wasn't like the game changer like Charlie Coyle was, but he was that depth guy that really helped him, especially when the the untouchable, unbeatable line of Marshan Bergeron and Pasternak went kind of cold for a minute. You had guys like Coyle and Johansson stepping up, so that play in the playoffs probably gave Johansson. I mean, he was making just a hair over four point five. 4.583333333 to be exact, which is what he was making when he first signed with the Capitals in the summer of 2016, or at least when he when it was initiated, excuse me, 2016, 2017 was the first year of that three-year contract. So making the same amount of money, not getting, he was actually taking a demotion, but then again, the way he was playing, he was going to be making about three, three and a half. So like I said, those playoffs, just your performance in the playoffs, how you do, can give anyone a real big pay grade. Montreal bolstering up their defense with the signing of Ben Sherratt from the Winnipeg Jets. And this was a move that, well, Winnipeg really did not need to sign Ben Sherratt. And I say didn't need to because, well, don't forget, at one at right now the Jets are in a little bit of cap a trouble. They, I mean, they have twenty-three mil, or little almost twenty-three million dollars. In cap states, you think, oh, they're not in trouble at all. Like I always say, guys, you still have to sign Line. You still have to sign Cop, Kyle Connor, and goaltender Eric Comrie. No, not really. But those are the big three you have to sign. So Winnipeg really didn't need him. And 
On defense, they still have a lot of money tied up between Bufflin, Kulikov, Morsi. They just signed Nathan Bilio to one more year at $1 million, so we'll see how that one goes for him. So there's your top four. Right now, your top six is looking like them with Sammy Niku and Tucker Pullman. And, you know, this is going to be a team that's going to have to rely on those top four to play heavy minutes. So that's where you're going to start to see some, you know, maybe some fatigue by the end of the year if Paul Maurice doesn't play him smartly during the 82-game schedule. So for Montreal, though, what they're getting in Ben Schrott is a defenseman with experience, with playoff experience, and Montreal, with their roster they have now, they have a mixture of guys that have played those big playoff minutes, but guys that really haven't. Montreal right now has just under $7 million in cap space, to be exact, and I just wrote a little bit of a piece about them. I'll kind of get to that one here in a second. But Ben Sherratt, three, like I said, 3.5 for the next three years. You, you're getting a defenseman who is not going to put up an astronomical excuse me, amount of numbers. He tied his career best, excuse me, set his career best last year with 20 points in the regular season. The last time he had 20 points is in 2013-2014 when he was with the St. John's Ice Caps. That's how long ago it was when Sherratt was well, in the minors, but, and before that, he put up 24 points with the Saginaw spirit of the Ontario Hockey League, so you're going to get more of a, and I don't say a slow defenseman in Sherratt, but it's a piece that you can use for experience, veteran presence, for a little bit of a young defense core, which has a guy like Victor Mete, who's going to have to play a little bit more, you know, you have Brett Kulak and Mike Riley, who have played for a couple of years, but that'll be interesting. You have Carl o- Carl Osner right now is the third highest paid defenseman, and he barely played last year. So this is where I'm going to get to kind of, I'm going to kind of plug my first piece I wrote for the hockey writers the other day. I wrote about, you know, what RFAs they should go after and so on and so forth. And I mentioned Zach Wierenski, offer sheeting Zach Wierenski. The point of the article is talking about the Habs should make more offer sheets after failing to get Ajo. And one of the two players I mentioned, I mentioned Travis Konechny, but I also mentioned Wierenski, simply because of the fact that you need younger defensemen. And this Montreal team's on the rise quickly. So the idea with Wierenski is, yes, you're going to have to pay a little bit of money, and you're going to have to fight with Columbus, who has the cap space the size of the Grand Canyon, after Matt Duchesne, Bobrovsky, Panarin, all walked on free agency. So... But getting a younger defenseman in there is important at cheaper rate, too. Now, yes, like I said, you, you like one at a cheaper rate, but you're looking for Wierenski. But how are you going to do it with $6.5 million? Well, Montreal is going to have to make moves. Don't forget, they were offering Ajo 8.454, which, of course, the Canes officially or officially matched earlier this week, so making it official, even though it was announced that they were going to. But you can make moves. Obviously, you can dump Carl Osner's contract if you're willing to throw in a couple picks and a couple other players in there. And you have you have other bad contracts as well you can try to move around. But, of course, you can probably move Nate Thompson somewhere for cheap. You can probably move Matthew Pekka somewhere for cheap. Just kind of clear up a little bit more room if you wanted to. Now, of course, if you do that, you're, you run into a little bit of trouble. You still have Michael McCarron. He's an RFA, and it sounds like he may be heading towards arbitration. But there's a lot for this hockey club to get something going. Our Terry Leckin and Charles Houdon are a couple other RFAs. We're going to have to worry about signing up front. So maybe Montreal won't go that far deep in terms of going after an RFA. But the defense, they need, it needs help in Montreal. Shea Weber is making sub-8, just a little under $8 million. He ain't getting younger. He's 33 years old and is about... He's got a little more speed than Chara, but it's going to catch up to him. Jeff Petrie's solid. He put up over 40 points last year. You got to like his production, but at that, I mean, if he can keep that pace up, that'd be great. But then, you, like you said, you have Brett Kulak, Mike Riley, Victor Mete, and Ben Sherratt. Carl Alsner is on cap friendly on their list for defensemen because, well, who else is really going to be? Alsner spent most of last year either scratched or with Laval. And I'm not saying that's why Laval only won 24 games last year, but Carl Osner's got to, that contract needs to go away. 4.625 is ridiculous. And I understand that contract was signed by the Habs when they had money to do so, 
But when, when it was signed, it was just it was a head scratcher because yes, at that point they had a little bit of room, but that's a contract that you need to get rid of asap if you want to have room to bring in better talent to help out this back end because it really starts if you're looking at it from the outside the forwards they'll figure themselves out you have arteria lacking who played pretty good you have charles hudan who eh, you know may or may not be there but you just re-signed joel armia to 2.6 for two more years so you'll know he'll be a third liner max domi brendan gallagher thomas tata as they actually should call him johnny Duran. You know, Dale Weiss is still there, but the forwards are, I guess you could say, okay. And I'm excited to see where Ryan Paling comes into this. Because remember, Ryan Paling, last game of the season, first game after getting knocked out of the NCAA tournament from St. Cloud, comes in, scores a hat-trick against the Leafs. We Sorry, that was, it was Bob Cole's last game. Goes to shootout, gets his, technically his fourth of the game in the shootout winner. Had a Great game. I, he should be. An, he should get an honest opportunity to go play in the NHL next year. I don't see why not. I don't see why Claude Julien won't give him an opportunity. But it starts with the back end for Montreal. So getting Ben Sherratt to step in the right direction, but they still have moves to make. And the big signing, which happened yesterday, and I say big signing because, well, this was a player that people talked about where he was going to go, and he was asking for a lot of money. Michael Furland to the Vancouver Canucks with an AAV of $3.5 million. So he's a good play. Had a good year last year. Very good year. No doubt about it. With Carolina, he had 40 points. Not bad. Played physical as well. Only had 58 penalty minutes despite his kind of playing style. Only played 71 games though. He's had concussion issues in the past. It held him out of the playoffs a lot. He was with Calgary before. He came in on a one came in over for one season. Because remember, he was in that trade that brought Dougie Hamilton and Adam Fox's signing rights over. But of course, Adam Fox ended up signing with the Rangers. But of course, that also sent to Calgary at Lyle Lindholm and Noah Hannafin. But he played he earned his I it's so tough because he put up 41 points the year before with Calgary. In 77 games. But before that, he put up totals. I'm going to go through his stats in, his, in the couple full seasons previous. He put up 25 and 18 points. Now, granted, those Calgary teams were not exquisitely great. The 2017 team made the playoffs. 2016 team didn't. But at what point, and I understand contract years are huge. That's what pays the big dollars. That's why Travis Connecting may get a few more dollars than he would be worth because he had a career year last year. But the thing is, is that Furland's game playing style is physical, it's hard hitting, and he's able to bang the puck in the net. But it takes a toll on a body. And for a Vancouver team, especially, that has to look at here, in a couple of years, they're going to have to sign. They have two more years for Elias Pettersson. They have to sign Besser right now. But look at the money they have already wrapped up. They have $6 million. $6 million, three more years, with Louis Erickson. Bo Horvat, four years at 5.5. That's okay. They took on JT Miller's contract at 5.25 when they got him in a trade, excuse me, for, for Merrick Mazanik in a third-round pick and a conditional 2021st. And that was more of a cap dump for the Lightning, which the Canucks were glad to take on. Miller, you know, decent player, but that's still... A lot of money. You have Brandon Sutter for two more years at 4.375. Tanner Pearson, 3.75. And then to Michael Furlan sits. And you still have Antoine Roussel and Jay Beagle at three for three more years of $3 million. At what point will Jim Benning stop paying underprivileged players over price? What, 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 what point? Jay Beagle never deserved to make over $2 million. Same for Antoine Roussel, and same for Michael Furland. Yes, I know the Louis Erickson deal is looking garbage, but at the time when Louis Erickson signed that contract, he was worth $6 million. Bo Horvat's worth 5.5, I'll say it. Brandon Sutter, 5.25, that's fair. And JT Miller was 5.25 because Steve Eisenman could sign anything on a whim. 
And then, of course, they, they bring in Tyler Myers for $6 million for five years. Yeah, that looks a little bad right now, but because his age will affect him and his size will. And, you know, there's a lot of money being thrown around. And like I said, you're going to have to sign Elias Pedersen in two years. And if the kid keeps it up, that's going to be a lot of coin. You have Thatcher Demko in net for two more yards at 1.05. At hope, you're hoping at that point you have the ability to bring in Mike, Mikey DiPietro because Jacob Markstrom's got one more year left on his deal. I, if he makes anything more than two and a half, I'm sorry. That GM should be fired. And, of course, they have three more years for the recapture penalty on Roberto Luongo of 3.033206, even though the man's retired. Hey, Vancouver, out of all the teams that should not be in cap, you know what, cap hell, Vancouver shouldn't be it because they're, you know, a slightly rebuilding team. But then again, like I said, they have the Louis Erickson contracts in their back pockets. They took on JT Miller's contract this year. If the Canucks don't make the playoffs this year, guys, Jim Benning, Bim Jenning is going to look like an idiot. He's taken on these contracts. He's got Quinn Hughes at a sub-max ELC deal, which, granted, it's only about $9 million less, but, or excuse me, a little little less than $9,000. I said $9 million, I meant $9,000. But you, this team needs to be good with this amount of money being spent right now in these kind of players. Now, granted, yes, these players I'm talking about are going to be making less than a million. Well, Brock Besser will get a good pay grade, I think. He'll get a good pay raise when his deal's all set and done. And, of course, he can't be offer-sheeted because of his status when he came out of college. So he is the Canucks or else. And I'm, I, you would think Besser likes playing in Vancouver. How do you not want to play with guys like Elias Pettersson? I mean, JT Miller, I don't know if he'll be on the top line with him or not. But, I mean, hey, Josh Levo's there. Hey, that, that's going to look like fun. Quinn Hughes on the back end on the power play, three-on-three. Three. Huh. Man, if, there were, if, if they jumped in the 3HL league... And kind of three-on-three touring league, Elias Pedersen, Brock Besser, and Quinn Hughes. Huh, they'd go undefeated. That's how good those guys are. But it's a make-or-break year, I think, for Vancouver. It's going to be, can you make the playoffs with this team? If not, you're going to have to start taking some hits and start offloading these contracts. And let's be honest, Louis Erickson ain't going to go without a couple of their assets with him. That's not a contract you're going to get a lot in return. You're going to have to give a lot to get rid of a lot. So it'll be interesting to see what how Vancouver goes from here. But I think Vancouver Vancouver could have been a playoff team last year. It just I think with the youth on this team and the inexperience, and of course the in, inconsistent goaltending as well, it didn't help the fact that it, I mean it ended up hurting them down the stretch. They just couldn't consistently keep up their play. It was it looked like how the Leafs looked for all those years when they were really bad. They started off well, had a good first three months of the year, and falling off the face of the earth. The only thing that was consistent with the Leafs was falling off the 18-wheeler, falling off as Brian Burke used to say when he was general manager, and Phil Kessel scoring 35 goals a year. That was, those were the two consistencies. Oh, that and death and taxes as well. And the Leafs not making the playoffs then. But now for Vancouver, I think, is going to be a point to where to see where they're at. Because Jim Benning's done a horrible job with contracts. It's not, there's no question about it. So we'll see how they go coming up this season. And there are a couple draft picks that signed as well to their ELCs. Alexi Protest signed in Washington today, or I think it was yesterday, for 825 grand, 833,000. And of course, the big one, the Rangers signing their second overall pick, Capacaco, to the max ELC contract. And that is obviously good news for them. Jack Hughes, as we know it, is still looking to be signed to be, make everything official. I don't know if you guys are any big wrestling fans out there. I kind of sometimes make jokes about it here on the podcast. But I remember uh, I was watching Monday Night Raw the other night, and someone, because it was in Newark, someone had a sign. Someone clearly went down all the way to see Monday Night Raw from New York, or there's just a Rangers fan in New Jersey, which is possible. But it was a, fan, it was a sign that said, Capo over Hughes. Caco over Hughes, and I'm just like, that's a good man. And I'll, and I'll be 100% honest with you guys. It's it's kind of interesting to see 
a lot of people. I mean, yeah, you have the rivalry between the Rangers and the Devils, and that's going to be fun to watch. We talked about it last week. We were talking about it after the draft of how those two teams will battle this year, especially with the two top-end draft picks coming in, most likely playing play big roles for their teams. But I really think that will, will Kako outplay Hughes? It's going to be an intriguing story to watch, and that's how it is with most you know, one and two draft picks. Everyone was watching McDavid and Eichel their first year. And McDavid, despite missing time with an injury, played better than Eichel. Matthews and Lyon, oh man, it's going to be a battle. Lyon scoring goals like crazy, but Matthews puts up 40 and makes the playoffs. Okay, all right, cool, Matthews. Yeah, I know Nico Heshire and Nolan Patrick were really a tough battle per se, but it was interesting to say the least. But now you're looking at this year and you're wondering what's going to happen. Who's going to be the big fish to get out of this one? I don't know. It's great that they're in the same division because now they're going to see each other four times a year. It's going to be better. I mean, I'm not saying it's going to be better than Crosby and Ovechkin because Crosby and Ovechkin met in the playoffs how many times. So I am, I'm interested to see how that goes for them. And I'm, like I said, both will get the max ELC. Signing bonuses will put them over $2 million because well, something happens, knock on wood. They both should probably hit it. Talking about some re-signings here. A couple of bigger ones. Like I talked about Joel Armia earlier, who came over last season to Montreal, $2.6 million for two years. Fair contract for him. But the big re-signing this week. No, it's not Mitch Marner. I'm sorry for all you Leaf fans. Not Mitch Marner. Head a little further out west. San Jose. Cap crunch hell after signing Eric Carlson. Cap crunch hell after signing Timo Meyer for stupid amounts of money. So what do they do in reaction to all these bad contracts that Doug Wilson put himself under? He signs Kevin LeBanc, Kevin LeBanc, for a whopping $1 million. $1 million. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Kill Podcast, where I get angry over nothing. Remember we talked about Timo Meyer, okay? He scored 66 points last year and gets $6 million. He almost doubled his career best from the year before in his third year in the league. And is and is a good player, Myers. None the, I mean, he's good with hand passing the puck in front of the net and not getting caught for it for some reason. You know, thirty goals, thirty six assists. That's that's good numbers. Okay, six million dollars. All right, that's a little bit much. But then when you compare him to Kevin LeBanc, who had more points last season, 27-2018 with forty, also played a couple games with the Barracuda in the AHL. But then this year puts up 56 points. Now, granted, it's not as big as a jump as Timo Meyer, but that's still pretty good numbers. 56 points. That's not too shabby, I would say, right? Let's look at other guys who had 56 points last year. William Carlson, Evander Kane, Chris Letang, Brock Besser, Ryan Dezingle, Roman Yossi. Let's look at some of those contracts for those guys. How about it? Evander Kane... After, remember, he signed a contract with the San Jose Sharks with a cap hit of $7 million. Ended up costing $9 million due to his performance bonuses. Chris Letang, $7.25 million. William Carlson just got re-signed for $5.25. Roman Yossi, defenseman. I know it's a little bit different numbers for defense, but he's making $4 million. Ryan Dezingle was making 1.8 last year, but he's going to get a pay raise whenever he signs his contract. Brock Besser as well. And yet Kevin LeBanc in there with 56 points. It gets $1 million. $1 million. Okay. I know I'm going to keep saying $1 million. It's going to sound annoying here, folks, but just, just come off it. Carlson member made 5.25 last year. Just re-signed for $5.9 million this year. William Carlson did. Now, granted, William Carlson had put up points in 2017, 2018 as well. So I understand where, you know, because he, he bet on himself. If Kevin LeBanc, if this is Kevin LeBanc betting on himself, 
I don't know what he's thinking, guys. Someone tell me, what makes you think $1 million is good? Now, this is not a hometown discount, guys. This is San Jose. There's no such thing as a hometown discount, unless you're Joe Thorne and Patrick Marlowe. We'll get to them here in a minute. But if you, even if, like, $1 million, like, 3.5, have some respect, man. Whoever your agent is, it's clearly not Darren Ferris, or else you'd be making $25 million and have your agent just go, you know, kneeboarding or wakeboarding instead of talking about talking contracts. Holy smokes. And Thomas Shabbat's going to get a pay grade when he's done. He had 55 points. I'm just looking at the list right now. Thanks to our good friends at catfriendly.com for having their point totals from last year along with their contracts. It's ridiculous. How in the world? I understand, Kevin, you want to play on a good Sharks team, but the team keeps getting older and older and older. And yet here we are signing for a million dollars. Was nobody else offering? I, I just don't understand what makes him think that he's not worth anything more than that. I understand he's he's still going to be an RFA after next season because you have to play seven years in X number of games to actually be a to be an unrestricted free agent. And he needs one more year to be arbitration eligible. So I believe at the end of next summer, he'll be arbitration eligible, which means probably he'll get paid actually some money here. This is crazy. I, I don't, how in the world can a guy that puts up 56 points in today's game, in today's market, make less than $2 million? Guys, Zach Hyman is making $2.25 million and he's never even hit the 50 point barrier. He had a career-high 41 points last year. The last time the boy ever hit 50 points was when he had 54 back in Michigan playing college hockey. He had 102 points back playing for the Red Wings and the Hamilton Red Wings of the Ontario Junior Hockey League, but that was, geez, I don't know, Obama was still president and Harper was up in Canada being prime minister. This may sound all saltiness and stuff, but I'm trying to help the boy get paid here. This is crazy. And what world... Do you not ask for a hair more? Did Doug, was there, did you not think, I mean, you could have traded him. And the boy would be able to be signed somewhere else. How do you, you could offer sheet the guy for two and a half and Doug Wilson wasn't going to match it. Shoot, I should have said Montreal should have offered him, but heck, he wanted to stay in San Jose, I guess, but it's, it's not like a guy that wants to stay in his hometown because I've always joked that I'd play for the Leafs for, you know, Timbits and coffee, but. $1 million after the year you have and you don't ask for more? Unless Kevin LeBanc's brainwashed to think the Sharks actually have a shot to win the Stanley Cup next year. I don't know what he's thinking. Because the agent, as Alex will always sit across me and say, the agent represents the player. No. The player pays the agent to speak for him. Because I'll tell you right now, the agents don't really care about the player as long as their 10% looks good. And the agent's dumb because, let's be honest, that 10% of $1 million is not a whole lot. 10% of 3.5 looks a little bit better. Michael Furland is getting paid $3.5 million. And Kevin LeBanc is getting paid less than that. So, like I said, credit for Doug Willison for not overpaying a player for once. Mark that on your calendar for the first time ever. But holy smokes, LeBanc is, I guess maybe the taxes there in California too are expensive. So hopefully there's some like reimbursement on the side for a house or something because it's not cheap to live out there and that's a very cheap contract for the player that LeBanc is. So Sharks get out of Dodge with that contract negotiation. But other than that, geesh. A couple other re-signings, and I say quote-unquote on these, are the Leafs signing the players they received in trades before free agency or actually on free during free agency Alex Kerfoot signing for four by 3.5 million dollars fair contract indeed a little bit less than Kadri and you know everyone's like how can Kerfoot replace Kadri and I, I want two things I paid attention to today I first listened to the staff and graph podcast which is Rachel Dory and Ian Tullock of the athletic Rachel Dory of course former employee of the New Jersey Devils and they were talking about how what kind of a player Kerfoot was. And Kerfoot, whenever he's on the ice, is not a guy that is going to give up a lot of offensive opportunities. Not because of the fact that he's a superb defensive forward. It's because of how good at puck possession he is. And there's a lot of analytics to go on with that. I'm not going to bore you folks with that. I'm not, I'm not going to say bore you folks with that because 
to be fair, I'm not the most analytic savvy. I'm kind of learning as I'm going here with writing with the hockey writers because you learn that if you want to be technical with players' numbers, you have to understand the analytics nowadays. But he's a very talented player. And then I was watching the NHL Network before I went to lunch today, and there was the replay of Game 2 between Colorado and Calgary in the first round. And just watching the way he plays, you can really see what kind of player he is. He's smart in his defensive zone, but he's good at moving the puck up. When Colorado would get the possession, he's on the ice, they'll move it out efficiently. The breakout was clean, and the zone entry was clean as well. And, of course, Kerfoot has the ability to make some plays in his own zone. Doesn't take the whole lot of shots. I know that's one of the criticism he has. But with him, it's not necessarily scoring, but it's not letting the other team score by not letting him have the puck, which the Leafs had a lot of last year by giving the other team the puck. So if Kerfoot can kind of implement his game in, that could help the Leafs on the ladder, on the bottom four, or bottom six, excuse me, because he's, prob- he's got to be your third-line center. Because William Nylander is not ready, mainly because of the fact that you put him off Matthew's wing and it just seems like he forgets how to play hockey. We went over that all last summer, remember, guys, and I don't want to do that again. I already do that with Marner now. But I think Kerfoot would be a great player in the third line, seeing him with maybe with Kapanen. Oh, just have Kerfoot move the puck up and let Kapanen have speed down the wing. Breakouts for days. That's how it's going to happen. And the other one, of course, is Cody Cece at one year. Not bad, only giving him one year, that's fine. $4.5 million. Ladies and gentlemen, ring up your doorbells and put it back in the notes saying, Tyler's going to lose it again because why? Why would you give Cody CC $4.5 million? Guys, his his qualifying offer minimum is 4.3. And I know you're all saying, but that's only 200 grand, Tyler. That's not a whole lot of money at all. But still, you could have just simply let him walk to arbitration and not paid him at all. You could have tried to avoid it. You could have tried to trade him if you wanted to. $4.5 million. And guys, I know he's a right-handed defenseman. And if he plays anything higher than the, anything higher than the third pair, that's bad. But Tyler, where else is he going to go? Exactly. Third pair. Just keep him there. Gosh, that's a lot of money to be paying a guy like CeCe. You're paying him like Zaitsev and you're expecting me better than Zaitsev? Someone asked me the other day, would you have Cody CeCe or Nikita Zaitsev? No. <laughs> the answer is no. Timothy Lilligren, give him a shot. I'd rather see him than that. Gosh, I'd rather see Timothy Lilligren, who still, in my eyes, is not NHL ready to be on the ice rather than Cody Cece. Really, the uh, the right side for the Leafs has been so has been the huge question mark, and I think it was James Myrtle who tweeted out, who's, re- who's really been the last good right-handed defenseman? It was either Ian Tulloch or James Myrtle. And I remember I commented, <laughs> I don't know if this is true or not, but I said Bob Rouse. Take it, you old fans will remember that name. Baros or Dmitry Miranov. I don't know who, who's the better right-handed defenseman or who is the last good right-handed defenseman for the Leafs. It's been so long since they've had one. I mean, name me the Leafs defenseman that's been good for the last 15 years, since a little bit before the first lockout, before the year-long lockout. You know, Tomas Caberlet. All right, he was pretty good. He had Dan enough for a couple years, but he turned out to be pretty bleh. And nowadays it's Morgan Riley and Travis Dermott. Whenever he comes back, he seems to be another the second guy. Jake Gardner as well. Speaking of Jake Gardner, everyone talking about Gardner now. You know he's got to be resigned by Leafs. They need him because well, they need defensemen, NHL caliber defensemen. And we saw last year when he went down with an injury how how much of a hole he left in the Leafs lineup on defense. And now. Everyone's talking about him taking a pay cut from the $4 million he had. The fact that Cody Cece is making four and a half does not help the Leafs in re-signing Gardner. If you think he's going to take a pay cut, I don't know what to expect. If you're going to think he's going to take a pay cut after what Cody Cece is making, you're out of your damn mind, okay? That is a horrible contract to be paying a horrible defenseman who for some reason goes to arbitration every year with an RFA, went to arbitration last year with the Ottawa Senators because, well... You deserve to take every single dollar out of Ottawa as you can. But the fact that he's going to be getting $4.5 to be a third-pairing defenseman, or with the Leafs' luck, he'll be a first-pair, because that's what Babcock does. takes third-pairing players and puts them at top minutes for some stupid reason. My bad socks are going to get worn out this year, let me tell you. But the difference between Jake Gardner and Cody Cece is simple. Jake Gardner, at times when you want to strangle him, at least he can look like a viable NHL defenseman. 
Cody Ceci has never looked like an NHL defenseman. Ever. He came from the 67s, hometown boy, excited, yada, 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 coming from Ottawa. Okay, he's going to be a good defenseman for the Sens, an up-and-coming team, and massive fart. Unless you're trying to hope that he just makes it out and, I mean, that be that, but my God, that's just, it's a horrible contract to sign for a very subpar defenseman. God bless it, he's a UFA next year. So, hey, you can let him walk, because I don't know why you'd keep him for anything. But then you have Jake Muzzin and Tyson Berry at, at up their contracts end at the end of next year. Excuse me. Of course, then again, you'll, let's just put it this way. I'm looking at cap friendly right now. Morgan Riley is the only defenseman right now that's signed for the Toronto Maple Leafs past next season. Cody Ceci, who will probably walk. Jake Muzzin at four mil is in the UFA. Tyson Berry, who the Leafs are only paying 2.75 because remember, Colorado's still retaining half. Dermott's on the last year of his ELC. Ben Harper is on there. And you have Martin Marintz and Justin Hole are both going to be UFAs after next year as well. And, of course, you still have Rasmus Sandin. You still have Timothy Lilligren. Andreas Borgman, I don't know if he'll ever get another shot in the NHL. It's a real bummer. Callie Rosen was going to be a second-pair defenseman for the Leafs. Remember that. That's the kicker. He was going to be a Leaf next year, but then they traded him. So that's how the business works. So you have Justin Hall probably playing second-pair on the right side because why not, right? It's either him or Cody Ceci. And if Ben Harper ever gets a inkling of ice, that lineup better be sick and dying. Because that's awful. If the Leafs are able, without signing Gardner right now, the Leafs pairings look like, I'm going to take a wild guess. I'm going to say Riley Berry, just because. Riley Berry, Muzzin Hall, and at least to start the year, you're probably going to look at something like Marinson and Ceci. Okay, because remember, Dermot's still out for a while. His Everyone's looking at his recovery as going fairly well, which is good. I'm intrigued to see what's going to happen here, guys. I'm very interested to see what's going to happen of how they're going to pull it off. If they're, I mean, they don't really have any room for anything. I think really now the kicker is the Leafs are probably waiting to sign Gardner to see what they can get Marner for. And yes, this all comes back to Marner, I understand. If you don't get their cap friendly right now, they're looking at about three points, almost $3.8 million in cap space. But of course, they have the 5.3 to play with with Nathan Horton on LTIR. So they have a few more dollars to spend. They have five more contracts still available, but they're probably not going to hit that mark. It's, it's frustrating to know that this bright-eyed Kyle Dubas, who has great great ideas in the game but right now is looking no there's a it looks like there was a reason why he was an AGM because he's able to get players that could play in the minors and help develop them and use his analytics abilities but for some reason in terms of getting the job done he has done a horrible job at it at least that's what it's looking right like so far now grant yes there's only one it's only been one year and, you can, and I don't know how long people are going to ride the whole, well, you got John Tavares. Yes, you got John Tavares. Say, hey, JT, you want to play with William Nylander? Or not William Nylander. You want him to play with Mitch Marner? Hey, that looks cool. That guy looks pretty good on that video we took on the ice Scotiabank Arena that we had to put in so we could skate on it. He looks pretty good. You want to play with him? Awesome. Sweet. Sign the contract. Now he has the threat of not even playing with Marner. You signed the guy for $11 million to play with Marner, and now Marner wants $11 million. By the way, the Leafs don't have that room. I'm just saying, they do not have room for $11 million. So unless you're going to trade Casper Kapanen for the 3.2 you just signed him to. My goodness. I Dubis has frustrated me. Almost as bad as Burke did. But then again, Burke just would never talk. Dubis is kind of talking, and it's kind of getting annoying. But at least have their holes on defense. That's for sure in this far as, and until something changes, it's going to stay that way. So, quickly taking a look at who's left here. We're just about wrapped up for the show here. I know it's a little bit of a shorter one, I understand, but, sorry, two hours and 46 minutes is not a consistent pace to go at. I mean, I know we want to do our like our own radio show and stuff like that, but in terms of just talking about hockey, especially right now, there's not a whole lot going on. I could talk about other things, but really don't have time for that, nor more or less the info for that. I, would, I don't want to talk about something I don't really know about, you know, 
Sure, I could talk about the Kawhi Leonard deal and how it stunk that I found out at 3 o'clock in the morning how Kawhi Leonard got signed by the Clippers, actually officially signed yesterday. But hey, you know what, guys? John Tavares left the Islanders to come home. Kawhi Leonard left the Raptors to go home. At least he won a championship. Hey, how about this? Vladimir Guerrero Jr., 91 home runs in the home run derby. That was literally the most impressive display ever. I think in the history of the home run derby that since I've been alive, it is the most incredible feat I've ever seen. I remember Mark McGuire had that great year in 99 where he, I don't know, he out, he, I couldn't tell you how many home runs he hit, but he ended up losing to Ken Griffey Jr. Of course, Josh Hamilton in 2008 was incredible as well. But for some reason with Vladdy, it just looked, he looked natural. And the kicker was when Carl Robinson said, oh man, this is a different Vladimir Guerrero Jr. we're having here in the final when he only hit 22 home runs. Any other year, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. wins it by a landslide. I mean, it's it's amazing to see how consistent it was and how the crowd is reacting. And of course, I had to spoil it for everyone by saying, don't forget everyone, Kevin Biggio has only hit two less home runs than Vladimir Guerrero Jr. and 100 less at-bats. There's my, there's my analytic stat line for you for baseball. That's as, as far as my knowledge goes. But it was fun. My brother and I were getting into it. When he had that deal with Jock Anderson, that was, or Jack Anderson, it was so, it was, it was the Jays World Series. Everyone said on Twitter, it was the Jays World Series. And it was just so intense because we were like losing our minds. And when Vladdy was like fist pumping after the home runs or in the swing off, we were like, yeah! It felt like 2015 all over again or 2016. It was awesome. I mean, that kind of feeling probably won't happen in the in October for a couple more years, or if Ross Atkins is still a general manager, whenever that ends. Where's Alex Anthopoulos? We need him. Ugh. Anyways, back to hockey. Who's left on the unrestricted free agent list? Let's quickly go down that. We talked about Jake Garner already. Don't really need much more to say to that. Anyone who does go after him, I mean, right now, I don't know if the Leafs are holding him off by leash and say, hold on a second and just kind of leading him along. But if you're a team in there, swoop in there and try to get him. I understand sometimes he can seem like a defensive liability, but offensively he's an incredible talent, and you'd be dumb not to go after him. And you could probably pay him $4 million, just like he's been with the Leafs the last few years. Justin Williams, there are still questions on whether or not he wants to come back, what kind of deal that Carolina's going to give him, who knows. He was an incredible leader, and he, he still produced. I mean, yeah, he's getting older, and I understand that, but he's still a guy you want in the locker room. Uh, Joe Thornton and Patrick Marlowe, they're probably still waiting to see what the cap situation is looking like for San Jose, which has continued to dwindle down to almost nothing, which is right now is at a whopping $5.382 million. Nobody on LTIR. So unless you're going to pay the two guys for like $2 million apiece, they may not play hockey next year. And it's going to be one-year contracts. You have to almost guarantee that because really – Looking at it from the outside, you have Melker Carlson for one more year with the Sharks at $2 million. Like I said, Kevin LeBanc making the stupid number of $1 million. That's pretty much it for the forwards. I mean, you have Lucas Rattle, Rattle, Rattle making seven hundred grand, and Johnny Brzezinski, but those guys would probably be bottom, you know, fourth line or scratches. And there's a lot of players, of course, that are playing for... The Barracuda, which includes Noah Gregor, former Prince Albert Raider, Memorial Cup Prince Albert Raiders, who did not win a game again, Ivan Djekovic, other guys that have really looked well in junior. So you have talent down there. Whether or not it turns to NHL success is to be foreseen. But we'll see where Marlowe and Thornton go. They will take pay cuts because they both are agreeing that they are getting older. Deanna Fanoff's still out there. $6 million cap hit last few years. Got bought out by the Kings, so he'll probably be making less. But he's probably more or less going to be a veteran defender I don't see him making a whole lot of money at all I mean let's be honest Alicia Cuthbert's making more than him each and every year but I'm intrigued to see what where he will go I want to see you know what it sounds awful because Deanna Phaneuf's game has diminished so much since his days in Toronto but you know if he can find a spot somewhere hey the Senators have a lot of space and guess what with the Senators he'll be playing top four minutes because It'll be Thomas Shabbat and Dion Phaneuf on the second pair. Because everyone knows it's going to be Ron Hainsey and Nikita Zaitsev. Why? Because DJ Smith's the head coach. 
and he's a defensive mind. His defensive mindset is so great and so amazing. Such a visionary DJ Smith is. That he's going to play them both 40 minutes a night because that's how good he is. That's why he's a head coach in the NHL. You, know, you ever think to maybe wonder if the Leafs allowed DJ Smith to talk to Ottawa simply because of the fact that, hey, we're going to really kill these guys now next year. No? Conspiracy theory denied? All right, whatever. Hey, I'm just saying, behind-the-scenes stuff happens all the time in the NHL. We just never hear about it. I've heard a lot of things before that just... I've never aired on the show because, well, I don't want to have legal action taken against me, and I really can't afford that right now. Paying for a wedding right now, guys. Legal fees are a lot of money. But probably the biggest UFA that's still out there is Ryan Dezingle. And remember we talked about him a little bit when talking about Kevin LeBanc. He was making... Ryan Dezingle was making, excuse me, $1.8, but he got $2.1 million by the end of it with his performance bonuses, scoring 56 points last year, playing combined with Columbus and Ottawa. And it was his career year, like we said, 56 points. Had 41 the year before. And I, I wonder where he's going to go. If you're, if, if you're Dezingle, in terms of if you want to make a lot of money, stay in Columbus, they can afford it. I mean, this could be a guy that could make four and a half right now with the amount of cap space the Blue Jackets have and be dumb for him not to sign it. He's gotten better as the years have gone on. His first full season, he had 32 points. Decent, especially for a first-year full-time guy. 28, and that was, of course, remember the year that the Senators made to the, the Game 7 of the Eastern Conference Finals when they were one goal away, and Chris Kunitz's little flutter sent the entire Senators franchise into a complete and utter garbage fire. Last year, or 2018, excuse me, had 41 points, 23 goals, 18 assists, but last year putting up a fair decent number amount of numbers with 56 points in 78 games played. Did not do a whole lot in the playoffs. Like I said, only one goal, but then again, when you're playing on a team with Panarin, with Duchesne, Cam Atkinson, he was not going to be the top guy. But now with the Blue Jackets, he may be one of the top guys. With all the room they had, they still have $15.8 million. And remember, like we said, they still have to sign Zach Wenski, who's going to want a lot of money. And you know what? With all that room, yes, you're looking at, I mean, you have Cam, your, your top three, you have four players only making over $5 million on the front end, if, including Seth Jones in the back end that makes it five players. So getting him at $4 million is not a bad deal. And if you're Ryan Dezingle, I don't see why not. You're still, on the, you're still an up-and-coming player. And you're going to get plenty of minutes to prove it. Of course, Gustav Nyquist just got signed for that $5.5 million as well for four years. That could be an interesting dynamic if you put him possibly with either Dubinsky at center, Nyquist, and Dezingle on the same line. Or maybe Dezingle gets some time with Cam Atkinson on the wing with Dubinsky in the middle or Nick Foligno. You know, where, is, where does Alex Wenberg sit? Will Boone Jenner be a center? Will he play wing again? So there's a lot of questions right now for the Blue Jackets team. They still could be a team that could compete for the playoffs. Granted, yes, goaltending may be an issue with Jonas Corposalo being your starting goaltender and Elvis Merzlikens, 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 Merzlikens as your backup goaltender. So I'd like to see what the Blue Jackets do. And I think Dezingle should stay with Columbus, at least for a couple years. I believe that he would, well, if he signed at least a four-year contract, that buys him up to the UFA years. So... In that retrospect, I think it's three years, believe, excuse me, pardon me, three years from now he can be a UFA. So sign a three-year contract for $12 million total and play some quality minutes with the Blue Jackets. And then by the end, see where you're at, and you may be able to get a bigger pay grade from there, from someone else possibly. So those are Dezingle's options. A few RFAs to look at. Still have Mitch Marner on the top of the list. But you also have Braden Point, Miko Ranton, Matthew Kachuk, Kyle Connor, Brock Besser, those are the top six in terms of points last season. Patrick Line, remember, had an off year by scoring 30 goals. I know it's crazy to say that, but 30 goals, 20 assists, 50 points. Mitch Marner, I don't know he's going to make points. going to have a little bit more room to play with after JT Miller got traded. Miko Ranton's going to be easily making about eight and a half, nine probably, which is funny because he's making more than Nathan McKinnon, but that contract will come around eventually for McKinnon. Matthew Kachuk got 77 points last year. I expect him to round the 7 million mark. Kyle Connor, Winnipeg doesn't have a lot of room. Those will be some tough negotiations. Besser, 
with 56 points. He'll be making a few million dollars, probably four, four and a half, possibly. Jacob Truba, of course, remember he was traded from Winnipeg to the Rangers. And remember, that was a big deal about because his girlfriend wanted to pursue her nurse schooling. So that's why he wanted to move back to the States. And I think the Rangers could get a fair deal for him now. And the fact that they're going to have a stacked team, Truba may, I'm not going to say take a pay cut with the Rangers, Truba will, but you don't want to over get yourself overpaid because this Rangers team could be something next year. You have Konechny, who's going to probably be in the four and a half to $5 million range that we kind of, his player is. Zach Wierenski is going to be making six to seven easily. Colin White's going to have a lot of money from Ottawa. Kevin Fiala could be an interesting one. 39 points didn't do a whole lot. He could be making a few dollars here and there. I expect him around the $3 million range, possibly. Maybe two and a half, if you can get him lucky enough. JT Comfer, who played some big, big roles in the playoffs for the Colorado Avalanche. He'll be making two and a half, maybe. Two to two and a half. Oscar Sundquist, who became a hell racer for the Blue or for the St. Louis Blues in that cup run. You could be seeing him making one, one and a half. Arterio Leckin for the Canadians is probably the last one. Actually, we also have a couple there. Excuse me. We got Charlie McAvoy and Colton Sissons. Sissons has been a very good role player. Not a big point getter. 30 points is his career high last year. But he's a very, very good at his face-offs. I remember doing some numbers on him the other day. He is going to arbitration because he wants more money, which a guy that takes well over 50% of face-offs, you know, he deserves a few dollars here and there. Don't forget, Tyler Bozak still making five for being a shootout specialist and a face-off specialist. But Charlie McAvoy will be a tough, I don't say a tough one for the Bruins. You're going to sign him because he's such a good defenseman. They have a little over than $8 million in cap space. So you're going to have to really look at how much you want to pay him. Torrey Krug's at one more year at 5.25. Chara hopefully only plays one more year for $2 million. Matt Grizzlick's at 1.4 before he's an arbitration eligible RFA after next season. John Moore, you have signed through 2023 at 2.75. McAvoy guy's going to be easily making four, four and a half. That's that should not be a surprise to anybody, the type of player that he is. And don't forget, he literally dragged the him, the parry between him and Chara. Because literally dragged because how else are you gonna get Char up and down the ice? Why was the game why else was the game plan? Hey, chip it into to Char's corner and go after him. Because you couldn't skate. You put it in a McAvoy's corner, that puck could be out of the zone as fast as he came back in. Very good defenseman. Didn't like him one dang bit. Has a very punchable face, but it's definitely a defenseman I want on my team because he's so valuable because he's a right-handed defenseman, which could almost give him the right to ask for five million dollars. But he's not arbitration eligible, so he can't do that. So he can't really take anyone to, to a third-party court. They also have Brandon Carlo to re-sign as well to the Bruins, but McAvoy will be the big one to go after. I'm Like I said, I'm thinking four and a half. It's probably a good median for McAvoy for a few years. He's still only 21 years old and looks like a very capable top-pairing defenseman in the NHL. You know, If he can sign for a few years, maybe a bridge contract, that could be huge. But like I said, Bruins have cap space, but it'll be this. It'll be after next season will be the big year for them because they'll have Charlie Coyle up. You're going to have Joachim Nordstrom and Jake DeBrusque. Jake DeBrusque, of course, being the big one because he'll be an RFA. And the only other ones is Brett Ritchie, who they signed this year, and eh, Chris Wagner may be in Providence by the end of next season, but who knows? Who cares? But that's pretty much it as much as I got for this one. I know it's, like I said, a shorter episode, a whole hour and... 40-some minutes shorter, but not a whole lot going this week. Not really any big moves. We'll probably have a show next week, maybe. If there's if there, if there nothing happens, I'll be honest, folks, we may not have a show next week because, you know, the deals are kind of dwindling down. Maybe if there's a big deal that happens, we may talk about it. Maybe have some more stuff, but don't forget, we're heading towards August, which will be stupid August where we start yelling about stuff. Angry August season two, which we don't not, we do not know the topics yet. We'll probably have our rule change episode probably in a couple weeks as well, or the rules we'd like to see changed, or crazy ideas we have for rules in the NHL. Hey, down goes Brown Road about them. Why don't we have a new one? Hey, don't forget, guys. Gil Stein implemented ninety two ninety three that the players did not have to wear helmets. That was a rule at one point, and then Gary Bettman took over. And well, for player safety purposes, it was for the best, but for us fans, it's neither here nor there. As I drink my coffee, but. For now, I thank you all for listening to another episode of the Kill Podcast. Please make sure you talk about this episode using the hashtag the Kill Podcast, tweeting us at the Kill Podcast, and telling us, telling me at least, what you think of today's show. 
Tell him you, who you think will be signed next. Will Ryan Dezingle stay in Columbus? Will Jake Gardner get a decent pay cut? Will Mitch Marner finally get off the water and take everything seriously around here? Who knows? We will see. Be sure to also check out downtownsportsnetwork.com at DT Sports Network on Twitter. Check out all the all of your favorite information on all your favorite sport teams outside of hockey because we are the leader of hockey for DT Sports Network and we're glad to be holding the flag for that brand. For now, once again, folks, I'm Tyler Kuehl, the insider of the insider, thanking you once again for listening to another episode of the Kuehl Podcast. Goodbye! Goodbye!